come after me. Let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. The meat of my message is going to be Matthew 18, starting at verse 21 through 35. Peter asked the kind of question that Major would ask during Bible study. How often should I forgive a brother who sins against me? Seven times? And Jesus corrects him 70 times up and gives a parable. There was a master during tax time who was settling his accounts, called a servant in who owed him a million dollars, told his officer, take and sell him, his wife, his children, and all his possessions to pay his debt. The servant fell down at the master's knees, pleading, be patient with me, and I'll pay back all that I owe. The master looked at him with compassion and canceled all of his debt and set him free, let him go. On his way, this servant finds a fellow servant who owes him just $50, grabs the man by the throat, pay me all that you owe me. The servant falls at his knees, please be patient with me, and I'll pay back all that I owe. But he wasn't patient. He had the man thrown in prison till he paid back all that he owed. But let me get old school with you here for a minute. Let's go into the Old Testament. Because in Numbers chapter 32, verses 23 says, your sin is against God. But you know that your sin will find you out. And there were some other servants that were witnessing everything that took place. They were greatly troubled by what they saw. And they went and reported back to the master. The master called the servant back in. You wicked servant. Shouldn't you have had compassion? I have, I've canceled all of your debt because you asked me, shouldn't you have done the same for your fellow servant? In his anger, the master called a jailer and had that man tortured till he paid back all his debt. See, Jesus gives the moral of this story in verse 35 when he says that your heavenly father will do the same thing unto you if you don't forgive from your heart. You see, forgiveness is a tenet that runs through the Bible. It's all throughout. And it's associated with unity. Every Sunday morning, we say the Lord's Prayer. Matthew chapter 6, verse 14. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. But let me put it to you another way. Cancel my debts as I cancel my debtor. You see... Jesus has been teaching earlier in Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, and he puts it like this. If you have something against one of your brothers or sisters, go to them privately and tell them they're false. And if they hear you, you want a brother. But he doesn't stop right there because back when he's doing the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24, he says like this. You're going to the altar to give your gift, and you remember, you just even think that somebody's got something against you. Leave your gift at the altar and go get reconciled with your brother or sister and then come back and give your offering. This is important to God because Solomon is getting ready to dedicate the temple. God knows that we have the capacity to cut the food. He has seen mankind ever since Adam and Eve. He already knows how we are. And this isn't an out or an end game. We just tell him, hey, I'm waiting for you to come back to me. Second Chronicles 7, 14, very familiar passage with us. Because it says, if my people, are you his people? If my people who were called by my name would humble themselves and pray and turn their wicked ways and seek my face. See, there's, there's a protocol that he has. We've got to fill all of those roles. Then will I hear from heaven. I will forgive your sin and I will hear your land. It goes even deeper because John puts it like this in 1 John 1 and 9. If you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us all of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God is involved with forgiveness with us. I don't care how you are as a person. Somebody's always going to offend you because we have feelings. But the Bible says, woe unto those where the offenses come. When they talk about unity, Paul puts it like this in Romans chapter 12, verses 18. He says, if it be possible, 
And as much as it depends upon you, a little piece of believe it all, man. If it's possible. Because we know how unruly some people are. They're hard to get along. They go straight to your nerve. It's intentional. That's how God builds our character because he knows that he puts people around us to rub the, the stuff off of us because they're abrasive like that for a reason. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to know that we have to forgive. This is a requirement that God has, and this is how we can tell our growth and our development. That somebody does us wrong, that we quickly say, Father, forgive them. See, we are to them that he was talking about on the cross. It wasn't just that crowd right there at his feet. He's saying these very scriptures, and the guards are gambling for his clothes, and they're fulfilling proper, uh, Psalms chapter 22 and verse 18. Everything has to be fulfilled, and he already knows the Bible. He wrote it. He knows what's happening. But he knows us. Us. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So this evening striving, set somebody free. And set yourself free. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's a time of celebration. Look to your neighbor and say, let's celebrate. Let's celebrate. The second last seven saying of Jesus Christ. Today, you will be with me in paradise. The scriptures I will be referring to is Luke, the 23rd chapter, verse 39 through 43, and Revelation, the first chapter, 9 and 10. Today, you will be with me in paradise. These eight words are profound, sacred, and loving. We all have heard this story at one point in our lives. It is one of the most important times in the Bible. Why? I'm glad you asked. Because Jesus rose from the dead. Come and walk with me on this journey. We all know who is the star of this story is. It is our Heavenly Father, Father's one and only begotten Son. And his name is J-E-S-U-S. J-E-S-U-S. Yes, Jesus. Just to hear the sound of his name, it should cause you to jump out of your seats. Let me set this stage up for you. The setting of this short story is the crucifixion. In just a week ago, people were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And celebrating Jesus on the street, laying down palm leaves, and just days later, they were calling his name, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. It is here at the cross where the greatest act of love took place and the two thieves came into play. In this short story, Jesus and the two thieves were hanging on the cross. Let me start with the two thieves and save the best for last. Both thieves understood why they were on the cross because their intentions were, was self-centered, which is not stewardship, meaning being selfish, overly concerned with one's desire, needs, or interests. Let me hear you say, not me. I'm going to refer to both of the thieves as thief one and thief two. Also, I believe that the thieves' crimes wasn't just petty thefts or misdemeanors. They were felons, 
with a long rap sheet. Just continue to follow me as I tell this true story. How many of you know that you have to secure your place in heaven and have your name written in the book of life? In regards to the thieves, I am reading from Luke, the 23rd chapter, verse 39. Talking about thief one, and it reads, then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, if you are the Christ, save yourself and us. It is very clear that thief one wasn't securing a place in heaven. This is, a, this is truly an example of being self-centered. It's all about you and not Jesus. Look at your neighbor, and you say, and you say, and you say, and you say, it's not me. As Christian, and having that mindset will not get us far at all in this world. Let me go to Luke, the 23rd verse the 23rd chapter, the 41st, which talks about thief number two. And it reads, But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing that you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due rewards for our deed. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. The word kingdom also refers to the land filled with milk and honey, the streets of gold, which sound like a beautiful place to be with no worries. Jesus made a promise to a dying, repentant thief as he hung on the cross paying the price for our sins. That promise was fulfilled through the grace of God and the authority of Christ. The thief's sins have been given, have, has been forgiven, and his passing that day served as his entry into heaven. And it's never too late to secure your place in heaven. Just bear with me for a little while. Let me touch on what is paradise. Some online dictionary describes paradise in this way. Paradise is a place of contentment, beauty, tranquility, just some of the man's definition. The real heavenly paradise is peaceful and eternal. Now, what you all been waiting for is the main attraction, and it's not Disney World. <laughs> I say to you, his name is J-E-S-U-S. J-E-S-U-S. Yes, Jesus. This Jesus that I'm talking about it made the ultimate sacrifice for you and for me. In Luke, the 23rd chapter, verse 43, and it reads, And Jesus said, Today you will be with me in paradise. What did Jesus mean when he said, Today you will be with me in paradise? Some people might wonder, how could Jesus have been in paradise with the thieves if he was buried, rose from the grave after three days, and then ascension to heaven many days later. After Christ died on the cross, his body was placed in a tomb for burial. The tomb did not contain Jesus' spirit or soul. Nevertheless, Jesus' spirit was present with the Father. Jesus was intentional when he said, today you will be with me in paradise. In closing, my last scriptures are coming from Revelation chapter 1, 
verse 9 and 10, and verses 12 through 18. Revelation is the last book in the New Testament. Let me set the stage for you all. John, one of Jesus' followers, describes another encounter with Jesus after he rose from the dead. Just for a moment, imagine you were in John's shoes. Just for a moment, imagine you were in John's shoes. And I read into your hearing. Verse 9, I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke to me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, Jesus, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth were a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell to his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me. He laid his right hand on me, saying to me, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am who lives and who die. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Amen. given number three. Woman, behold thy son, thy son, behold thy mother. So Jesus sent his mother and the disciple who he loved, standing near, said to his mother, Woman, look, here is your son. Then he said to the disciple, John, look, here is your mother. Protect and provide for her. From that hour, the disciple took her into his own. Just imagine a mother watching their only son being sacrificed for the whole world. Jesus is saying in this, not a cause for mankind. He is talking about us, the very creature that he died for. Even in death, Jesus was still operating his spiritual ministry, but assuring the needs of mankind, of God's people talking about us. Jesus is saying that we have a responsibility to go out to get the lost, which is our brothers and our sisters. We are to provide for one another. But the greatest of all, we are to love one another. In Matthew 9:37, the harvest is plenty, but the labors are few. We have a command by Jesus to go Retrieve. Retrieve means to recover. Gather them. Don't retreat from the work. Jeremiah 31 and 3. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn thee. In my closing, Jesus gives us the command to go to the mission field. It's not an option, but it's a command. Command you. Amen. God bless each and every one of you.
Colossians 1, 15 through 17 describes Jesus as Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones and or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things and by him all things consist. So these are sounding just alike. Here's the Holy Spirit. 1 John uh, 14, 26 says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. He will teach you all things. So if he's going to bring it to your remembrance, you have to have this word in you. Jesus said what I said to you. So remember that. But in this holy union, the three are one. Deuteronomy 6 and 4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So I look at it like this. I want to give you a quick analogy. In, corp in the corporate world, you have CEOs, you have COOs, and you have general managers, CFOs, too. In sport, on any, any professional sporting team, you have an owner, you have a general manager, and you have a coach. But in God's system, the Trinity, the coach, and the owner is the same person. The manager... And the CEO is the same person. So when Jesus said, why have, why have you forsaken me? This word forsaken also can be translated as abandoned. Why have you abandoned me? Okay, so here are some instances of, of abandonment. In broken families, orphans may feel abandoned. Refugees of war of torn countries may feel abandoned. POWs may feel abandoned. Natural disasters like the recent earthquake in Turkey, I'm sure that people felt abandoned. They were trapped under buildings not knowing if they were going to see the light of day again or their families again. The tragic killing of George Floyd and Tyree Nichols, I'm sure that they felt abandoned. Their last words were, Mama. They cried out for their mother. They, were all, they all probably felt abandoned, and this, and, but in this situation, this one was uniquely different because these were not caused by them, but in Jesus' situation, it was uniquely different because Jesus knew that this was going to happen. He knew it was going to happen. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus cried out, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but your wills be done. See Luke 22, 42. Jesus' relationship with the Father had never been broken. One of the reasons God did this is because he is holy, separate from sin. 1 Peter 1, 15 through 16 says, but he who called you is holy. Also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And Jesus became sin so that you and I would have a way back to God. 2 Corinthians 5 and 21 says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Hallelujah. Now, during this time, it was strange because it was about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and all of a sudden it was pitch black. So this is a sign from God that whenever God causes darkness to come on the earth, that's a sign that he is, he is punishing sin. Remember, Jesus took on our sins, so Jesus was taking the punishment for us. So, back in the days of, in the First Testament, in, in the New Testament, I'm sorry, back in those days when God punished Pharaoh, there had been darkness. It's a sign that God's, of God's punishment. And on the cross, Jesus was suffering for our sins. It was so dark when Pharaoh was punished that people had to feel around to see where they were going. It wasn't just black, it was pitch black. They couldn't see nothing. Amen? So, to just, just to give you that, just to give you that scene, Jesus is the light of the world. He is our light. Amen. So here we go. We should reflect his light here on the earth. He is Jehovah Ori. Jehovah Ori means the Lord my light. That's Psalms 27 and 1. Jehovah Ori. Here's an analogy that I want to give you, and it kind of sums it up and it kind of breaks it down at the same time. The moon has no light of its own. It gets its light from the sun, the S-U-N. 
When the earth is in position precisely between the moon and the sun, the earth's shadow falls upon the surface of the moon. This is called a lunar eclipse. So you will see a sickle shape or an outline of the moon when you look at it. Just as the moon, we as Christians have no light. Our light, we get our light from the sun, the S-O-N, Jesus Christ. But when we allow the world to come between us and him, we cast a type of eclipse as well by focusing on too much of our own time and lifestyle on what we, and, and what we see in the world. Ephesians 2, 8 and 10 says in a nutshell, this is Paul addressing Ephesians. We were not saved by good works, but we were saved for good works. Amen? So, the body of Christ, I'm going to take you out on a little trip. The body of Christ is not a cruise ship. The body of Christ is a warship, a battleship. Matthew, oh, let me go back. Matt, and on, on a cruise ship, we, we go on cruises, we get entertained, we want to be entertained, we want to be fed, we want to be, you know, comforted on these cruises. We like the food, we like the time, or whatever we're doing, you know, whatever. But on a battleship, imagine if nobody on that ship was manning their station. Nobody. This thing is drifting in enemy waters, and you're not where you're supposed to be. The body of Christ suffers because a lot of times we're not where we're supposed to be. And I'm talking about spiritual gifts, ministry. That's what, that's, that's my point. So Jesus said in Matthew 5, 14, 16, Jesus said, you are the light of the world. A city is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but put it on a lampstand and it gives light to all who are in the house. Are we light? Amen. Amen. I want to leave, I want to close with the, with the sermon that I heard. I listened to XM Radio, and this guy, Dr. Tony Evans and Dr. Jeremiah and Pastor, I listened to, you know, I, it's like I get so much, I get fed so well. Um, he said, John 3.16 is the most famous scripture probably in the world. And Brother Fabian read it earlier. For God so loved the world that he gave his only, that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So the gospel, that's what we're talking about tonight, the death, the birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. But when you look at John 3.16, I'm going to give you the gospel in John 3.16. For God, there's the G, so loved the world that he gave his only one, there's the, there's the O, and only son, there's the S, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, there's the P, but have eternal, there's the E, life, and there's the L. Amen. God bless you. Thank you. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen, amen. Here I am. I'm the fifth. I'm the fifth. He goes, John 19, 28 reads, Jesus knew that his mission was now finished. And to fulfill scripture, he said, I am thirsty. What is the mission of Jesus? Let's go back and start in Genesis. Walk you through. In the Garden of Eden, God commanded man to eat from every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He states, the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Man disobeyed God's word because God is faithful of his word. Man rebellion caused death to enter the world. Because man sinned, in order for God to solve death, he now has to deal with sin. In Genesis 3.15, God laid out a plan for to defeat the power of death that Satan now had over man. Man is literally walking dead without the spirit of God. Life is in the flesh, in the blood. For it is the blood that makes an atonement for the soul. So God 
had mercy on man. He made the first atonement for sin by sacrificing an animal for the clothes of Adam and Eve. He then removed them from the garden, prevent them from eating from the tree of life, the living internal darkness. Continue the execution of the plan. Over time, God called Abraham. Abraham obediently accepted God's calling. His faith was tested. In Genesis 15, 6 says, Abraham believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him righteous because of his faith. By being faithful, God promised him personal blessing, honor to be the father of many nations. Through his seed would later come the promise of the Messiah, Jesus. Through the scripture, God further revealed the prophet of the plan for the Messiah. The prophet Isaiah revealed in chapter 17, 14. A virgin will conceive a child, and she will give birth to a son called Emmanuel. God's with us. That's the meaning of that. Also in Isaiah 53, he speaks how he will be pierced of rebellion and crushed our sins. He will be beaten and whipped, so we will be healed. Lord laid all the sins on him. God needed to become flesh and blood. He sent an angel Gabriel to the Virgin Mary, saying, God have favor with you. You will conceive and give birth of a son, and you will name him Jesus. So willingly obey, and the Holy Spirit came upon her. She conceived. Jesus was born for the flesh and divine, undefiled blood, the pure blood. Now, Jesus grew up with wisdom, stature, and favor with God and man. John the Baptist testified, I saw Holy Spirit ascending like a dove of heaven rest upon him as I baptized him with water. The next day, I saw Jesus walking towards me. He looked, here's the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God would take away the sins of the world. Luke 4.18 exposed Jesus' mission statement. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the captive and release and that the blind would see and the oppressed would set free. This was the life he lived so far until the festival on the leavened bread, also called Passover, where a Passover meal now considered the Lord's Supper at communion is normally served. This point, one of the perfect sacrifices of Jesus where the body was be broken, whose blood was shed, so that you and I would be totally forgiven and receive mercy. As I says beginning, John 19, 28, it says, fulfilling the scripture, he said, I am thirsty. Also, Psalms 22, 15 says, my strength is dried up like a pot, pot shed, uh, my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. John and everyone witnessed Jesus' death. The mission that he came was complete, was complete at this point in time that we see that he's covered all our sins he bare. When Jesus said, my God, my God, the first phase of death is the spirit of God had to leave him. He didn't have the spirit of God no more. And now his body is broken. 
blood is shed. Pure blood. For who? For you and for me. It is because Jesus thirsts on the cross, he can quench the deepest longing of our soul. It is because Jesus suffered and rejected, crucially, that Jesus is able to offer us healing. Thankful, through the mercy of God, Jesus said, I thirst. Amen. of being a new day to touch This word was often used when a painting was completed, a job done, or a debt paid. When Jesus came into the world, he told us that his mission was to provide salvation to a lost and broken world. Luke 19 and 10 says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. So in this saying, Jesus said that the work he came for was finished there on the cross. No more additions or adjustments were necessary. Salvation was completed. I'm here this evening to tell you that our work of spreading the gospel is not finished. We still got to get the word out. In John 14 and 12, Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. So if you think greater works means more miraculous, you will be hard-pressed to exceed walking on water, feeding 5,000 with five loaves and two fish, and raising the dead. So what Jesus meant is that the work we will do will be greater in extent. That is, how far we carry the gospel. His earthly ministry was largely limited to Galilee and Judea. His disciples, however, were to extend his ministry to the uttermost parts of the earth. When Jesus ascended to heaven, his followers numbered in the hundreds. Forty days later, in response to the preaching of the apostles, that number leaped into the thousands. By the end of Acts, the gospel had made its way to Rome. So how can we do greater works? How do we get the message of salvation and the gospel, the good news around the world? Thanks for asking. We're quick to tell strangers about where to get a good deal, but we hesitate to tell them about the one who can heal all their brokenness heartaches, worries, and sorrow, and give hope and blessings for today and tomorrow. So you see, you already have the tools to reach around the world almost in an instant. You can tweet, text, type, TikTok, talk. You can FaceTime, Facebook, face-to-face, -face, or even walk. You can chat, email, YouTube, Instagram, or Zoom. All this can be done before you leave your bedroom. So briefly, here are three simple ways to help you spread the gospel. First, you need to share your personal testimony. The Lord gave us one simple task as Christians. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That's in Matthew 28 and 19. Through witnessing, we help spread the world, but it also helps us deepen our own understanding of Scripture. When it comes to sharing the word, your walk with Christ is the best testimony than any other ways to spread the gospel you may try. Your actions often speak louder than your words. Your greatest witness is the life that you live, your testimony. Share what God has done and is doing in your life with your family and friends. This way they will see God and the impact that he's having on you. The Holy Spirit working on their hearts may then pique their interest to want to learn more 
about him. God just wants willing vessels, willing to be used to do his work. Just through regular conversations, you can share how he is working in you. While sharing your testimony, talk about what life was like before your change occurred. Talk about how he brought change in your life and came through for you. Then you can close your testimony with how things are presently in your life. You see, as 1 Peter 3.15 states, we should always be ready to give an explanation of our faith when someone asks where we get our hope. As you travel through life, any moment can suddenly become an opportunity to share the gospel. Be ready so you can make the most of the opportunity and explain what Jesus has done for you. Practice what you preach so unbelievers can see that the gospel does change lives. Next, you need to share your faith in the workplace. Now, if your workplace is or was anything like mine, you will usually get asked what your plans are for the weekend or how you spend it. You can use this to your advantage. You can tell them that you plan to attend church, a gospel concert, or you can tell them about the various group events coming up. This usually sparks interest in what you believe. Just be prepared to live up to that belief. They will be watching you even closer from now on. On Monday or your next work day, show them photos from your weekend events, such as church fellowships, WOW, LIT, or MOD, Men of Distinction. This confirms to them that yes, Christians can have fun too, and being Christian isn't all about rules. Finally, use social media. If you're looking for creative ways to share the gospel, consider social media. Today's generation live and breathe it. With social media being such an active part of our lives, what better way to share the gospel? You could share videos from some of your favorite sermons, Share a worship song that has inspired you or even your favorite Bible verses. You know, it shouldn't be about arguing with each other that one belief is better than the other or trying to convert people. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. The key here is to be a ray of inspiration in your friends' news feeds. If you have the YouVersion Bible app, the Bible verses images, they provide easy ways to share the gospel. There is a verse of the day with images which you can share to places like Facebook. Psalm 96 tells us, Sing to the Lord, praise his name. Each day proclaim the good news that he saves. Publish his glorious deeds among the nations. Tell everyone about the amazing things he does. Jesus said in Luke 15 and 10, I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Why do they rejoice? Not because they're surprised, but because a great victory has been won. Bernard of Clairvaux, a noted early century writing, said, when God forgives a sinner who humbly confesses his sin, the devil loses dominion over the heart he had taken. Paul said in Acts 20 and 24, I consider my life worth nothing to me, my only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. In 2 Timothy, he also said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. You see, the Bible says that our sin created a debt to God, and one that we could never pay back on our own. But when Jesus died, he paid off our debt of sin once and for all and for all. The book of Hebrews in 10, 12 through 13, and 18 describe the finality of Jesus' payment for our sins. It says, 
But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. And when sins have been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifices. In Jesus, it is finished. The work is complete. The debt is paid in full. It is finished means that we can stop trying to clean up our act before we return to him. And on that day, when we breathe our last, we want to hear the Lord say, well done, good and faithful servant, to tell us It is finished, and so am I. Hallelujah. It is finished, huh? It is finished. So the time had come. The time has come right now, too, too, right here in this room. While we know that the crucifixion was not the end of the story, it was the end of a season. I'm going to call this the season finale. Amen. So in sports, everything that came before this moment is what led up to the victory. Every tear, every bruise, every injury, every, you know, victory before this, you get to the championship, to the final four, to, you know, the whatever. You get there, but everything that came before was a part of this moment of this game where you either claim victory or defeat. On television, the season finale, this is where we find out the real story. What was the story under the story? What didn't we, what didn't we understand? But now, look, look what happened. It's not what we thought. It's the shocker. If you will, this is the two-hour-long episode with the cliffhanger at the end. So in these seven last sayings, we have seen the author, creator, the writer wrap up this portion of the master plan. Who knew it would end up like this? It is almost unbelievable. So the rumors are out there that there might be another season after this finale. But I'm not really sure how that can happen. You see, it seems the religious leaders of the time have bruised, beaten, and crucified the main character. I did not see that coming. I don't know what I will do if there is not another season. But to recap this season, we see the plan play out. And while it looked like defeat, <laughs> we see the setup for the ultimate victory. It is the setup. Hallelujah. 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 And indeed, this victory was just for me. <laughs> but it was just for you too. It was for us all collectively and for us all individually. How can that even be? What may seem like defeat was the setup for our greatest good, for success in this life and in the next. In our last women's study, we talked about the Christian life being inside out and upside down, meaning he changes us on the inside first, and that comes up. And then upside down, meaning it's not what man's thoughts are, right? If it's logical, ah, it, it's probably not God, right? You know, <laughs> if what he said to do makes sense to you, <laughs> well, you know, that's probably, you probably made that up. So <laughs> in our community, we are often saying this phrase, if you can see it, you can be it. So we say that reminding ourselves to lay down the path 
for those that come behind, for our children and their children, for all the people that are important to us. We want to make sure they have the tools. And we know for sure that obstacles will come. So remember this, if they can see it, they can be it. Because that, my friends, is what Jesus did for us. If we can see it, we can be it. And so in these last sayings, if you never, ever get any more gospel, you know, and Tyrone spelled it all out and everything, you get any more gospel, these last sayings say it all. His last moments were consistent with everything that had been had gone before. Everything he had taught, everything he lived out. So in these last sayings, he shows us how to be. So saying number one with Mr. Woods, debt cancellation. That's what he said, right? Right. So wait a minute. What? You want me to forgive my enemy? The people that put me in this situation with they lying and backstabbing? They didn't even apologize, and they're not even sorry. But God's way says, you, you remember upside down? Yeah. Forgive them anyway. So thank you. Debt cancellation. Robert Wilson said, Jesus is alive and has a place for us. That's what he said. So when we look at that, I say, Jesus, so you want me to represent the Father in all the circumstances? Like be driven to save all the people? Even the people that really did do the crime? Because they guilty, God, they guilty. <laughs> or what about when it's inconvenient for me? Because, you know, we watched a film and that looks like a lot of inconvenience. A lot. What if I'm dealing with my own pain? You want me to have a heart for all the people? Hmm. So basically you are saying not to forget my real mission on earth. That maybe it's not about me and my comfort. Maybe it's not about that. Maybe it's about my purpose. Then Pam came up here and she reminded us of the command to love. Woman, behold thy son and behold thy mother. So under all circumstances, you want me to take care of my responsibilities, huh? You want me to be a good steward over the people and the talents you put into my life. You want me to respect my parents and not be ashamed of where I came from. Because you know my origins were ultimately designed by you. So, okay, now we had Tyrone come up here. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And he reminded us that light has no fellowship with the dark. So here we are. This is our reminder that sin separates me from you. It's also my reminder of the coming grace after the sin that you have purposed for me through the act that we are talking about today. A reminder that you already had a plan for me to live a conquered life and not be a slave to sin. So then Herbert Thompson, with his verse, I thirst, said, he quenches the deepest thirst of our soul. <laughs> this is the reminder of his humanity and how he knows what it is to be human. It's also a reminder to quench my thirst and desires the right way, not to be out there thirsty. You know, to, <laughs> to take care of my physical body and needs in the manner in which he designed. You know, not in my own way, you know, the way that causes more and more and more problems, you know, the way that seems right to men. And to not ignore or undervalue myself because he values me, not because I'm all that, but because he values me. 
But you know, I might be all that. But anyway, <laughs> to speak up for my needs so they can be addressed, even in my overwhelming times, because that looked pretty overwhelming, right? And then Mose, it is finished. Salvation is complete, Mose said, but our work is not done. This is our reminder to complete the task, to do the work and leave the outcome to God. When you have done all you can do, you have fought the good fight, you are just exhausted. You just don't know what the next step is when they are wrong and it's not fair and they're not being punished. When that is the hand you are dealt. We are living a life laid out by the creator. He has work for us to do and we need to do the task and leave the outcome to him. So now we come to the final number seven. So as you can see on the screen, it says, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. So in the Message Bible, it says, Father, I place my life in your hands. So verse four, that's verse 46, but we back it up just a little bit to verse 44. We set the scene, and um, this was talked about a little bit earlier today. In verse 44, and in the, it's in the NIV, it says, It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three, until three in the afternoon, for the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn into two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he said that, he breathed his last. There's so much in that very small package passage. That is the final moment, complete surrender. Just fa fancy that. Like, I, I don't even, I don't know how to even complete, you know, cl clearly, I don't know how to you know, completely surrender. But this is a demonstration because remember, if you can see it, you can be it, of complete surrender. So if we looked up in the dictionary what just let go and let God look like, this, this is what that looked like. But before that happened, the veil was, was torn. The curtain was ripped in two. So they are referring to the temple curtain that created a barrier into the holy place. So in that act, forever and for me and for you and for us and for everyone, no more barrier to a relationship with God. My mother told me that she calls this moment the open heaven. And I was like, oh, mom, I'm going to use that. <laughs> But the open heaven, that is a great description. So Christ freely gave up his physical life and physical control, not in defeat, but in victory for the plan for us. That is not logical. But it was part of the plan for you and for me to have access and eternal life. The sacrifice, it was in the script. It was already in the script. It was not a last minute ad, change. It was a design. What love, the ultimate king and the ultimate servant. So surrender, willing surrender. He surrendered, not without pain though, and not without questions. And not without the physical getting in the way, yet he surrendered. And I think about the excuses I have to my surrender, right? But, you know, if you can see it, you can be it. Complete surrender for the greater good, for the mission, for the purpose for which he was created for. 
So what about me? And what about you? <laughs> it's good for us to scroll down memory lane and know what was done for us because we will never be worthy of that. Never. We can be grateful though, but that's not all we can do. That's not, if you can see it, you can be it. He chose me and he chose you in this very act. In my mind, sometimes I wonder if when Jesus was on the cross, all of our faces, you know, just flashed before him full of the sin that he died for us for. You know, pretty dramatic, I know. But I wonder that, you know, sometimes. So the question, though, is am I choosing him today? Do I choose him? So I'm not worthy for what he has done for me, but I can honor what he has done for me with my life. And so in Ephesians 2 and 10, it says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We didn't just show up and then got to figure it out. That is not how he works, right? You know, I work like that sometimes, but not him. So what sacrifices am I making in this life that he provided and designed for me? What sacrifices are you making? We each have to ask our own personal question. I'm going to tell you a really small, small story about me. You know, I'm a little nerd. And so, um, you know, I know I look cool, but, you know, I'm a little nerd. So um, I like these games. I like all these games, right? So, you know, like Candy Crush, I was on, like, level 2000 or something like that. So I recently found this. Uh, oh, and I got rid of Candy Crush because, you know, it was – you know, not good for too time consuming. And I could be worshiping the Lord, you know, or working out or something, you know. Um, so I said, okay, I'm going to take this off my phone, take it off my phone. So that's been some years and I've been good, but I found another game that I like, you know, because that's how it works, right? Like, you know, you think you got rid of something and then bam, something else come back. So this game is called World Word Tiles. And, you know, I just, like, you got the time, the clock is going, and you got to find the words, you got to find the words. And, and, and an hour has passed. And so I'm like, oh, man, here I go again. So I, I didn't get rid of it, though. But I set limits. Like, I cannot play the game after 9 o'clock because, you know, I can't be playing it and falling asleep when I should have been studying and praying. And so, you know, like, I set limits. And so that is a very silly story, but it's real because life is made of the small decisions that we make. It's not, we, we may get the big stuff right that people see, but it's the small stuff. So we are not worthy and we cannot repay. That was never in the script. But we can honor and respect these last seven sayings by carrying the mission. And we're not even asked to do it in our own power. Fancy that. He gives us the power. So this world that we live in is full of anxiety, mass shootings, political and racial tensions, wars, climate issues that lead to natural disasters inflation, mental struggles, health issues like pandemics, right? He died to save us from that, to save us from ourselves, because that is us. That, those things I, I mentioned, that's our nature. He died to save us from ourselves. So am I choosing him? in the big and the small stuff. He left up us an example to focus on the mission and purpose no matter what is going on in our lives. Do I care about everybody's salvation or only mine and the people I love or like? What about the mean people? What about the racist people? What about the smelly people? You know, do I care enough to do the task to do the task that he have? Do I care enough about all the lost souls to seek out and use my gifts and talents to his glory? Or is that too inconvenient for me? Because, you know, we watched a film. 
that looked pretty inconvenient, right? You know, I don't even like people like that. Do I want to control everything and everyone? Or do I believe what he showed me, that surrender is the path to greatness in him? Do I believe that? So I challenge myself and each of you to live our lives out in the victory that he already provided, in the strong finish, in that narrative. So what a season finale it has been, full of everything needed to live out our purpose and occupy the time and space that he put us in. So stay tuned for the next season. Rumor has it that we'll hear more about it maybe on Sunday and you won't believe your eyes. But I got a clue for you that I leave you with. 1 Corinthians 15, 55. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? So tonight, we celebrate the victory Christ has over sin and death. Hallelujah. <laughs>